know if you're seeing what I'm seeing, but it has recently occurred to me that the world is a crazy place to live in. The best example that I can think of to describe uh, this world, um, what this world has been like this year in particular, is uh, probably maybe a scene from a disaster movie where everybody is running for cover and everybody's fighting one another for shelter uh, and hope. Now I know that's an extreme example. And maybe the only people uh, you see running around are actually people uh, exercising or students who are late for class. But I've talked to a lot of people this year who are experiencing high levels of anxiety. We've been anxious about this election. We've been anxious about COVID. We've been anxious because of government, school, and uh, also uh, societal uh, responses to COVID. We've uh, been anxious over isolation, loneliness, lack of community. And you and I each personally have real life issues that we're dealing with. You're probably dealing with something that I have no idea about. And I know I'm dealing with things that you don't know about. On the outside, we probably all look pretty normal. But on the inside, many of us are running for shelter. Today's gospel talks to the church who is waiting for Jesus' return in days that are darkened by the shadow of the valley of death that covers this fallen world. And as we go through the gospel, I want to follow it. Uh, This is something I don't often do, but I want to follow it verse by verse so that we can understand what Jesus is saying about us, his bride, who are waiting for his return in these last days. So if you want to follow along uh, in the bulletin, uh, you can do that as we go by uh, verse through verse in the gospel lesson. And I want us to see that Jesus is doing two things in this parable. One, he is warning us from running away from him towards things that will harm us. Two, he is encouraging us by letting us know that our hope in him will not be disappointed. He will deliver us. He will deliver us From this place, he will deliver what he has promised to us. So let's dive into our text and hear what Jesus has to say to us who are living in these last days. He begins talking to his disciples about the last days, saying, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, who do these virgins represent? Well, together, all ten of them represent the church, which is the bride of Christ. Ten is a complete number. Ephesians 5 reads, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, having laid down his life for her, washing her with water and the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and without blemish. So the ten virgins, they represent one bride, the church. This is everybody who Jesus washed with water and the word in baptism. It is those he served. So why is there ten to represent one church? Ten, like I said, is completeness. The answer is also ten because of this. We are one. We are the bride of Christ, the church. But we are also individuals. Each one of us uh, is each one of us knows Jesus as our Lord and Savior individually. So together we are one, but we will individually be responsible to stand before the Lord on our own. Nobody else can do it for us. So the next question is, what do the lamps that they are carrying represent? Well, the simple answer is faith in Jesus. Earlier in his gospel account, St. Matthew has Jesus teaching the disciples on what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And he also mentions lamps that give light. Jesus said, talking to 5,000 uh, uh, men, not including women and children, he said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In this instance, our lamp gives off the light of good works for your neighbor. The light shines in the dark world for all to see. The church can't hide even if it wants to. But you might be thinking, but didn't we just celebrate the Reformation? And what's the, what's the emphasis of the Reformation? Well, Ephesians says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that's exactly right. You are saved by faith alone. We are, but good works, but faith in Christ has good works. The fruit of your faith, of your hope, is love for your neighbor. In other words, we have a lamp, which is a heart, filled with Jesus' love for us, which creates a light, which is love for our neighbor. And it shines, it shines in a place where love is so rare. Jesus continues, five of the virgins were foolish and five of the virgins were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise 
took flasks of oil with their lamps. As we noted before, the lamp in itself is the heart of the Christian, and the oil is the fuel that Jesus gives. It is the gift of Jesus in word and in sacrament. You see, he alone is the light that shines in the darkness, and any light that comes from a Christian, that exudes from a Christian, is really Jesus working in his or her life. The five virgins who were wise, they stayed close to the bridegroom's provisions as they waited for Jesus' return. In plain language, the wise Christian makes sure that he or she stays close to God's word and receives the sacrament. We can't do it on our own. Jesus is always with us in his word and his sacrament, and he knows all that we are going through. He provides us with the provisions that we need to endure as we walk through these days. His provision causes us to shine with works that glorify God in this world. But the foolish, they failed to fuel their lamps. In other words, they failed to fuel their faith with anything that is lasting. Now every heart has to be filled with something. And we, we will explore the fuel that the five foolish virgins filled their hearts with a little bit later on. But for now, Jesus continues. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept, all of them. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. What does it mean that all the virgins slept? All of them. Well, Paul describes it in our epistle lesson this way. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. I always read this text, always at the graveside of a loved one. Because I want them to have hope of what's going to happen. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus... God will bring with them, bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. In this context, it means that until Jesus return, everyone who is in the church, and indeed everyone in the whole world, submits to the sleep of death. There is no distinction. 
There is no distinction that can be seen from this side of eternity between the wise and the foolish. All have the same end. We are also warned, warned here, that just because we are members of the church, just because you hold membership, just because you've been baptized, this re- it warns us that it doesn't mean that we are wise. Jesus resumes, Then all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. This was to let the flame... This was to let the flame of their lamps shine brightly before the bridegroom. Now this wasn't for vanity. It wasn't to say, oh, look at me. This was what they had been waiting for. This is is their expectation, the hope of their expectation, the joy that they were experiencing. Finally, finally, my hope is fulfilled. A hope that at times seemed like it would never come. A hope that they really, literally died waiting for. But not all were ready. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, Go gather from the dealer to buy for yourself. Now what does this mean? Well, we noted earlier that the lamp itself is like the heart. And the, and the fuel, and the lamp has to be filled with fuel. But the foolish, they did not have fuel that was everlasting. In other words, their fuel did not come from the eternal bridegroom, but rather from the dealers in this world. And the dealers of this world, they give fuel that is flattering, but at the same time, it is fleeting. In the Sermon on the Mount, which wasn't the feeding of the 5,000, sorry about that, but in the Sermon on the Mount that we talked about earlier in Matthew 5. Jesus told them that they were a light on a hill. And then he told his disciples this. He said, when you do your good works, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. For truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus also says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? Again, that they would be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You see, the fuel of the foolish 
was the praise and the attention of man. It is looking for peace, the, the, the fuel of the foolish. It's like looking for peace at the bottom of a bottle or looking for shelter in a burning building. In our parable of the ten virgins, no one has fuel, no one has fuel for anyone else. This signifies that everyone is individually to account before the Lord in the last day. I can't stand for you. You can't stand for me. No one will be able to stand before God based on the faith of another. Each one will be called to an account and either faith in Christ is found in that individual, either they were looking for him to rescue them or they weren't. And the shame about the foolish virgins, especially, is that they were brought to faith and they knew what was taking place. They had been brought up in the church, so to speak. But instead of fueling their faith with God's word, they sought fuel in the praises of men and in other fleeting things that this world has to offer. At some point in their journey, they stopped setting their hearts on Jesus and became consumed with the things of this life. Are there things in this life threatening to choke out your faith in Jesus? Are there things in this life uh, that are taking you away from having God's love have its way with you so that your love for others would not fail? If so, and I know the answer is yes, If so, I am glad that you are here today to be reminded that Jesus died and rose to forgive all of your sin, even the sin of setting your hope on worldly things that pass away. While the foolish virgins were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, those who were ready went in with with the bridegroom to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. The tragedy here, the tragedy here is that they who once believed went away they were betrothed to the groom. And in those days, when you speak of engagement, it's as good as marriage. If you want to stop it, you have to get a divorce. They were betrothed to the groom. The bride price was paid. But to fuel their hearts, they traded in the gifts of the bridegroom for stuff that can be thrown away. They were like the rich young man who wondered what he should do to receive the kingdom of God. 
They were like the goats at the end of this Matthew 25 who said that they would, they would have served Jesus if they'd known it was Him. The question is, where is our hope? If it's not on Jesus, if it's not on Jesus now, He is here to forgive us and refuel us with his unfailing love and faithfulness. One of my favorite verses is this. Even if we are faithless, that describes me a lot of times. Even if we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It's true. There is a lot of things in this world that tempt us that take our eyes away from our hope in Jesus. And sometimes Jesus' promise, it seems so far away that it doesn't even seem real. But remember the price that Jesus paid to have you. He paid with his own blood he has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. Your name is written in the scars in his hands and in his feet and in his side. You are not forgotten. And just as sure as Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, he's returning for what is his. Let his word and his sacrament be the fuel that fills your heart with hope. And then the lamp of your faith, it will burn with Jesus' love. And it will warm the hearts of others with your good works that you can't help but doing as you wait for his return. And then, on that glorious day, when you hear that cry of command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet sound, that will be the day when your joy will be complete. Until that day, I pray that the peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until he returns for you. Amen.